Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, did Dwayne Bacon have his best game of the season? Also, Nick Batum gets a lot of run. What's up with that? We'll talk a little bit more about their game upcoming against the Portland Trailblazers and this. I'm, I'm a little, I listen, hold on. I, now, see, uh, I, I, we couldn't just blow by that one. Well, you had because to stop me. this is what frustrates me. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. I came into the season wanting so very badly for Dwayne Bacon to be successful, and man, it did not happen, and immediately it did not happen. After James Borrego told us that if the Hornets were going to be successful in developing their young talent, Dwayne Bacon was going to be a big part of that. Despite all of the comments surrounding Dwayne Bacon and us feeling good because of the way that he performed at the end of the season last year, Dwayne was really bad. In fact, like, worst player in the NBA bad but now after what was a really tough basically first half of the season or I should say maybe first what 35 games or so Dwayne has been pretty good in the month of January you look at his field goal percentage in January he's shooting 55 percent you look at his three-point percentage in January he's shooting 54.5 percent on about two a game He's going to the free throw line the last couple of games a little bit more. Two free throw shots, uh, free throw attempts against Utah, four against Phoenix. But he's also been a little bit of a better passer. I I gave him, I dubbed his game, I forget what one it was, but it was a game earlier um, in this month that I said he was, that was the best passing game that I had seen from Dwayne Bacon. Doug, I'm excited. I'm happy to see Dwayne Bacon playing a lot better and he's getting more run because of it. Oh man, James Brago said that? (laughs) Oh. He must be super embarrassed. <laughs> uh, that, that was your takeaway from all of that. My excitement of Dwayne was just you giving you a chance to clown James Borrego. No, I'm just saying if he said that, if he put every, it reminds me of year one for James Borrego when he put, he hitched his wagon um, so demonstratively to Malik Monk. And then Monk did not live up to any of those standards that he set forth before the season. And he eventually had to put Malik essentially out of the rotation. And then everybody was like, wait a minute, is, can this guy really develop players? And, and in year two, he hitches his wagon to Dwayne Bacon and Bacon lets him down. I would just, my advice to Borrego is stop doing that. Just <laughs> like, don't hit your wagon anymore. No more wagon hitching. If you rewind though, all the way back to game one of this season against Chicago, that, that really awesome win that they got one point win over Chicago, he played 33 minutes in that game was eight of 21 from the field. So not as efficient as you'd like but 22 points, five rebounds, three assists. So it started off well, uh, and it is it's it is fun to see him in a bench role come back and have this kind of impact on the game. 24 points, 10 of 15, much more efficient from the field. He was really hitting on all levels, scoring threes, pulling up for his kind of standard mid-range shot, and also finishing at the rim and some really tough finishes as well. Now, on the flip side, though, Walker, in that fourth quarter, he had two turnovers, that essentially cost you the game. And so it's it's tough in these, and this is what player, I think, player development is all about. You got to figure out, okay, yes, you have some good, you have some bad. You have to, you go, okay, Dwayne Bacon's not ready for the kind of role that he had against Phoenix on a regular basis. But there were some things there that you can build upon and try to eliminate those mistakes that he made in the fourth quarter moving forward. 
maybe too much of the offense was in his hands at the end of the game. I understand riding hot hand, but I think maybe it, it got it got to him a little bit at the end of that game. Maybe you go to a uh, Devontae Graham in that situation because Rozier wasn't shooting well. Well, and he did have the two turnovers, but at least he did have that layup and that free throw with just sure. under two minutes left, and that cut the Suns' lead to just two. It yeah, was 89-87 yeah. to 87 at that point. So I'm with you, right? I mean, you can't have the turnovers, but does it balance each other out when he's also able to hit that layup and bring them within just a bucket? Uh, I mean, look, th- there were some good things from Dwayne. Like, this was the best game of the season for him, sure. right? Is it better than Golden State? Oh, I think so. I get, But, you know... It's just these things are all relative in my mind when you're talking about a player in Dwayne Bacon that was supposed to be a starter, was supposed to be, you know, uh, somebody that could be one of the two-way players that the Hornets were looking towards. And so, yes, it was a good it was a good performance, maybe the best of the season, but I'm still not ready to say, well, Dwayne Bacon has mm-hmm. put him back in the starting lineup. Give him that response. See, that's what I'm saying. The two turnovers in the fourth quarter say to me he's not ready for the responsibility that comes with being a starter and having those kind of minutes night in, night out. He has to show that that he can go all the way and have that complete game. I haven't seen that yet. Just for a regular old game between the Hornets and the Suns on a January night, there's actually a couple of big storylines surrounding Charlotte. Dwayne Bacon was the biggest one because he had the best game, but Nick Batum actually got a lot of run in this one, a healthy scratch for Marvin Williams. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I want to talk to you guys about our newest sponsor. And you guys need to support our sponsors because when you do that, you help us produce a free podcast every day. That's tough. That's why we need you to support Echelon, our newest sponsor. If you want to get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at-home cycling experience at a less than half the price of Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, whether you're a busy mom, a busy dad, first responder, or an elite athlete, whatever your activity level, they put out a fantastic product. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym again. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, we'll give you your money back. Join the 100s of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Don't pay a ton for a Peloton. <laughs> Buy an Echelon bike today now you for like under $1,000. <laughs> I did like that. That was good. I, <laughs> Echelon knows how to market, baby. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. Not locked on NBA, as you've heard previously, maybe with other sponsors. It's L-O-N-B-A to learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. Again, Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. Let's get into Nick Batum before we take a break here, Doug. Nick Batum got a lot of run in this game after really a season where he had not been thrown into the rotation. Maybe we were scared about that at the beginning of the season, but Nick Batum plays 32 minutes, and it's a stat line that a lot of people have criticized ever since he basically got that contract. And maybe about a year and a half or two years after that, people are so frustrated with his lack of engagement offensively. I don't think people care if a stat line isn't necessarily as good. It's just the lack of engagement. One of five from the field, zero of three from beyond the arc, no free throws. He did get six rebounds, only had one assist. And Nick Batum gets a lot of run at the expense of maybe a Cody Martin, who you might want to see in there. Uh, Malik Monk only got seven minutes in this game. Doug, what did you make of Nick Batum and his increased playing time against Phoenix? 
Well, I think it was a result of how well he defended in that first game against Phoenix. He did a good job on Devin Booker and limiting him, and he did a good job in this game. Three of 12 for Devin Booker, one of six from three. So he, he got some assignments on Booker and some of the other guards, and he did a good job using his length to limit what they can do and, and gave the Hornets a chance to win this game, I think, in part. Uh, so that's what I make of his starting minutes. Also, I think Marvin Williams, the healthy scratch, that was also a factor. We'll get into some of the mystery behind that, why why that's taking place coming up. Um, what do I make of his offensive production or lack thereof? You know, I think part of it, Walker, is that he was aggressive early in this game, took a, took a couple of quick shots, and they, they just didn't fall. And I feel like Nick does that occasionally and then just decides, okay, I'm going to help everybody else out. <laughs> that was my role anyway. I've missed a couple of shots. I don't want to come away from this game one of 10 from the field. Like, that's the thing. Terry Rozier, not afraid to go one of 10 from the field. That's part of his role is to shoot. Sometimes he makes it, sometimes he doesn't. Same thing with Devontae Graham. This is a team that really has established, with or without Nick Batum in the lineup, who the offense goes through. It goes through Rozier, it goes through Graham, and to a large extent, when Zeller's on the floor, it goes through him. So Nick Batum realizes that, tries to get going, doesn't, and then says, all right, I'm out. And again, I understand the contract, whatever, but honestly, I think it's noble. <laughs> like, if, if you know your shot's not going down, that's fine. Let's get it to the guys who actually do care about, you know, putting the ball in the basket and are aggressive. I, you know, I don't want a bad Nick Batum shooting night being aggressive. Yeah, 100%. And it's why that was kind of interesting to see how people evaluated Nick Batum last year because he did have a better field goal percentage. He just wasn't shooting nearly as much, but he was shooting at a more efficient rate from the field last season. But now you look at his field goal percentage on the year, man, it, it's not very good. I mean, he's shooting 35.5% from the field on three and a half field goal attempts per game. He's shooting 29% from three. And you look at his total, uh, just look at his totals from each of these games that he's played in this season. He had one 13-point game against Detroit on November 27th. And other than that, he never got to double-digit scoring-wise in any other game this season. He scored two against Phoenix. He scored three against Utah in the 14 minutes that he played against the Jazz. He played a handful, I think six to be exact, in December, most points he scored was six against Boston on December 22nd and 22 minutes of action in that contest. I, this is Nick Batum, man. This is what you get. And I'm with you. I think we're in such a different mode right now here with the Charlotte Hornets. This is a different level. This is not a team that's competing to go to the playoffs, even though their record might actually kind of be up there with a team that might contend for the postseason. It if this was Kimba Walker-led team with Marvin Williams playing a lot of minutes, with Cody Zeller, with this team going after a postseason spot 100%, you would want more from Nick. But in this mode, I'm cool. Like, don't don't play him over Cody Martin a whole lot. I, I would like for him to sit on the bench, but as far as the Nick Batum that we actually get, then fine. I, I'm fine with the kind of production that it gives you. Doug, you mentioned Marvin Williams. I want to talk about that next after it was a healthy scratch for him. Is it something to do with the trade deadline? We'll talk about it next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. They're running their rookies to Greensboro. They're driving them to Greensboro and then driving them back the same day to play in an NBA game. I cannot <laughs> wait until the Hornets load manage. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. It's interesting to see the mix of young players with this team getting run alongside some veterans that maybe were unexpected. I mean, I certainly did not think that Nick Batum 
would be getting significantly less run than what Bismack Biombo has gotten this season. Only 18 minutes for him in this game against Phoenix, despite starting and starting frequently this year. Cody Zeller gets 30 minutes. We all know that Cody Zeller um, was always in the plans. At least that's what we thought coming into the year. But a guy like Terry Rozier, we knew he was going to get a lot of run. He's a veteran. Uh, Bismack Biombo, a veteran. Those guys are getting play. But um, Nick Batum hasn't, except for this game against Phoenix. And one veteran that didn't play in this game was Marvin Williams, Doug. And it'll be interesting to see what their thoughts are on Marvin. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that, uh, you know, well, you, going back to Biz, he, you know, he had the nose injury, got hit in the schnoz or the cheekbone and had to miss a few minutes. So I think that's where you get a little bit of the disparity between Biombo and Zeller. But it's always going to be a mix between those two of do they need the offense that Zeller provides or do they need the physicality that Biz provides? So that's the balancing act mm-hmm. that Borrego has. And a lot of that has to has to do with the fact that the Hornets are so undersized at the guard position. It's why that's why playing teams like Phoenix is tougher than it needs to be. You saw Malik Bunk only get seven minutes in this game, and it was simply because they needed Batum's size, they needed Bacon's size to defend Booker, Rubio, Saric, Ubre. I mean, they, you know, Phoenix throws a ton of size at you and a ton of physicality, and they scored uh, 64 points in the paint. A lot of it was just muscling their way to the rim, Ubre especially, just some breakdowns defensively, I thought, from a, a multitude of players. It wasn't just Miles Bridges in this game. It was P.J. Washington. It was Devontae Graham. It was Rozier at times because Phoenix was attacking them in transition relentlessly, and just the size, they're able to finish over Rozier, they're able to finish over Graham in in those situations when they can catch you off guard. And we've seen that time and time again. It's why I think that the Rozier-Graham pairing is just simply unsustainable. Despite how well they've played together offensively, it's unsustainable defensively. Borrego has some things to solve as this year goes on. It's what makes Marvin Williams not playing in this game despite being healthy. He was a DNP coach's decision. It makes it even more strange because they probably could have used Marvin Williams, his defense, his size, in this game, and he doesn't, and it leads me to wonder what you started to wonder. You were a little ahead of me on this. Are the Hornets limiting Marvin Williams because heavy speculation time because they are uh, getting into talks about moving him in a trade? Yeah, because if you cared about winning this game, Marvin gets run. I think I mean, so. He's, yeah, he's he's simply one of. He's simply one of the better players that would come in off of the bench, whether it's 15 minutes because he's old or whether it's a little bit more because you're going to ask a little bit more just on (laughs) individual nights. I don't know, but he plays in this game if you do your best possible rotation in order to win this one. And yet he did it. And you bring it up with a lot of the size that they had. It's just simple. You bring in Marvin Williams if you want to win. And yet he didn't play. I I can't imagine any other reason. Maybe if you just want to give him a vet night, um, but this is a guy that's already had a couple of vet nights because of the injury that he suffered. Maybe he's not 100% completely. Maybe they want to give him you know, staggered off nights coming off of that injury that he suffered to his nose. Uh, there are a couple of other things, I think, that you could come to besides yeah, If you wanted to make an excuse right. for the fact that you right. were actively putting him on the trade block. And it makes sense. Like, no, I don't think anyone, we would be sad, right? We would be sad to see Marvin Williams go because of all that he's contributed. He's, he's been so selfless. He's been a, a steady veteran force in this locker room for so many years. 
and uh, one of the easiest guys to talk to, get a quote from, get some analysis on the game. He was always happy to share that. So all of that will be missed, but you can't blame the Hornets for saying, hey, this is like the one piece that we may be able to move in this situation and bring back some kind of asset. And the question is, what would that asset be? So this is the question that the Hornets are tasked with. It's trying to figure out what is worth more to our franchise. Is it Marvin Williams being a fantastic locker room guy, or is it getting the future second round picks? Is Marvin Williams going to help the other players develop on the court and off the court? Because I think that's real. I think you saw some of the young players gravitate a lot towards Kimba off of the court, and I'm sure that helped them quite a bit. Hell, Devontae Graham stole Kimba's moves. I mean, obviously, that helped Devontae Graham develop quite a bit. What can Marvin Williams do, by the way, at a position where we're trying to figure out Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington's future? I, I think that matters. But is that all of that that Marvin Williams may provide this team as a member of this team, does that outweigh two second round picks does that outweigh a protected first round pick where it would be late I would imagine if it conveyed for the Hornets but is that something that they would have to maximize on that value and Doug I think my answer would be yes that you would go ahead and trade Marvin for a couple of second rounders or a or a late protected first rounder I think I would go ahead and pull the trigger on something of that value yeah, to me right now, the value is multiple second rounders. Like they, I think they would be so happy if they could get two second rounders plus, you know, whatever contract that they could then hopefully unload and clear the books, right? You don't want to take back any multiple year money for Marvin Williams. You're looking to shed cash and bring in multiple second rounders if possible. At the beginning of the season, to answer your question, Walker, I would have said, no, it's not worth it. You keep Marvin. He's going to help your players develop. He's going to help your team play better and thus help develop your players. But because of what we've seen already from P.J. Washington and Devontae Graham, I think it's, it's, it's time to let Marvin go. Like we, it's, it's sort of coping, right? Where I'm ready to let you go, Marvin. I'm so appreciative of everything you've given to this franchise. And, and to me, uh, you're, you're one of the best three-point shooters that this franchise has seen, and I'm, I'm just ready to let you go. Yeah, I think Marvin is still a pretty valuable asset to some teams that are contending, right? I mean, if you bring in the locker room guy that can shoot threes and won't be a liability on defense, then Mm -hmm. that's pretty valuable. And especially if the if the trade market is not as fruitful as maybe past trade deadlines have been then that could drive a team to be a little bit more desperate to acquire a guy like Marvin Willie. You know what's valuable about Marvin that we don't talk about a lot? I, I th- he's a player that knows why you lost a game. Like, he could tell you very clearly at, right after a game. He doesn't need to see film. He's like, yeah, this is why we lost the game. And, and I, you know, that maybe that's a veteran thing, but I'm not sure that all veterans could tell you why, why did you lose that basketball game. Uh, so I think that's a valuable thing, just a guy that can come in and say, yeah, I know, you know, no, I'm pretty clear on why we lost that basketball game and can communicate that and then help fix it along the way. I think it would be incredibly valuable to a team that was trying to uh, you know, win more, get to the playoffs, get a better seating, that kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to see if the Hornets can unload him before the trade deadline. Well, and last thing on Marvin, I forget the Cleveland Cavalier player that mentioned this. I think it might be Richard Jefferson, but they talked about the in-season trade that they pulled for Channing Frye. And I forget what they gave up for Channing Frye, but it, it might have been Richard Jefferson. I'm not sure. But whoever the player was that was speaking about it said that was huge for them. That maybe it was even Dwayne Wade. I don't know. But it was that Cavaliers team uh, 
that was talking about maybe it wasn't Dwayne White. I don't know. But it was Channing Fry going over to the Cleveland Cavaliers saying, like, no, this was a guy that actually really helped a lot of us out because there were some things that we were going through within that locker room that Channing Fry actually helped us out off of the court with. And not to mention he would come in and hit a couple of threes every now and then. He would get some DNP CDs every now and then. But that, for some reason, Channing Fry was this big acquisition for them. And you know what? Maybe you roll your eyes at that acquisition. Uh, maybe you don't believe in it. But I do think it says something if the players believe in that, right? If they start to look in hindsight and say, okay, no, that really was helpful in a couple of different scenarios, and, and they believe in it, then that might be all that matters. Who cares what we think about that? They do play the Hornets. They do play the Portland Trailblazers coming up next. We'll talk about that game and uh, Carmelo's impact on the Portland Trailblazers as well as some of the injuries they're suffering next here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Have you ever had that one little bug that's just like it's not completely out, but it's like kind of dangling in there and then you try to sniff it back up to go away for good, but it just it'll it'll keep popping back. That's what I'm going through right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I couldn't for the life of me remember who was on the roster of that Cavs team that traded for Channing Fry. It was the championship team. That's why it couldn't be Dwayne Wade. Doug, do you have the details of that? All right, so this trade uh, happened in the year of... Oh, man, it's not going to give it to me. Come on, Bleacher Report. All right, well, I'll tell you this. The Orlando Magic traded big man Channing Fry to the Cleveland Cavaliers in a three-team trade involving the Portland Trailblazers, who the Hornets play tonight. The Cavaliers traded Anderson Verjao and a protected first-round pick. That went to Portland, and the Magic got a second-round pick out of the whole thing, and Jared Cunningham, who I'm certain they, they shed... In that deal. So a first rounder and a second rounder going out for Channing Fry. So maybe, you know, that was a three team deal too. Could the Hornets try to get into something complicated Mm -hmm. that would increase the asset that they ultimately end up with? Maybe, or they could end up like Orlando and only sitting on the second round pick. Uh, But that was that team was the that was the Kyrie, LeBron, Love, Fry uh, team that went on to the NBA finals. All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, a late first round pick, I heard maybe that's something that the Hornets could get. That's, I think, in the most ideal best case. uh, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that would certainly be the best case scenario, I think, for the Hornets. All right. They do play the Portland Trailblazers tonight, play them at 10 p.m. So it's going to be a late tip if you can stay up for this game. When you look at the Portland Trailblazers, Doug, uh, you like the talent. They do have a lot of injuries right now. Nurkic is still out. Scal Labissier is out. Collins Hood a couple of those guys. So really remember when we played the <laughs> played the Raptors, it was five really important players. Here, I mean you do have important players but not to the magnitude of the Toronto Raptors and the Hornets still lost that game. What do you make of tonight's matchup with some of the things that the Portland Trailblazers possess? Well, so the big difference between that Raptors team and this uh, uh Blazers team, I was listening to Locked on Blazers and the host there said this team has no depth. And especially well, their depth has all been ravaged. I mean, you you just listed the players there. Nurkic, center. Scalabissieri, center. Zach Collins, center. So, like, their, their front court depth has been absolutely ravaged. And now they're left with Whiteside, who has been an absolute monster this season. Here's the tweet from Sam Purley. Whiteside is fourth in the NBA in rebounding, first in blocks, and second in second chance points. But they can't play him. 48 minutes because it damages you in other ways if you end up playing Whiteside for 48 minutes. So they have to limit what they do there. But then when Whiteside's not on the floor, this team cannot rebound. In fact, it's strange. He's fourth in the NBA in rebounding, yet the Blazers as a team 
are, I believe, 26 or 27th. They're right with the Hornets in terms of team rebounding. And so you can see teams that have been able to beat Portland have taken advantage of moments when Whiteside is not on the floor to dominate them on the boards and get second chance points. In my mind, that's the stat that you want to look at. Can the Hornets develop second chance points when Whiteside is off the floor? Hassan Whiteside, um, by the way, thanks for uh, the stats to our numbers guy, Sam Purley. But Hassan Whiteside, he kind of reminds me of, of this. I'm, I'm a little, I listen, hold on. I, now, see. Uh, I, we couldn't just blow by that one. Well, you had because this is what frustrates me. You know I'm uh-huh. under the weather. You know I'm not at 100% right now, and you're you're just taking it to me. You're like one of these people that knew Nick Batum had a hand injury, and they were just slapping his hand because it's like we're gonna get, we're gonna knock this guy's hand because we know he's injured, and that's what you're doing to me right now. But I just want to say, Sam, if you're listening, you're more than a numbers guy. You have heart, you have soul, you have agency. You are a person. Love you, Sam. I love you too, but you're a numbers guy. So when you look at some of the numbers for the Portland Trailblazers, it's interesting because CJ McCollum was really struggling at the beginning of the year. And I think Damian Lillard might have been struggling a little bit from the field at the beginning of the season. You look at some of their numbers, the efficiency wise, I think McCollum has brought that up quite a bit 45%. Lillard at 44%. Dame is crushing it right now. Yeah. Uh, 36% from three on nine and a half per game, 37% from three is CJ McCollum. But how about this, Doug? I mean, look, this is the storyline that at least the entire NBA is paying attention to. It's Carmelo Anthony shooting 43% from the field, but 40% from behind the line. My bad. And and, <laughs> and taking four a game. I think it's everybody's Oops. bad. Everybody laughed at Carmelo Sorry, being an important part of any basketball team in today's day and age. This was the guy that would always take a dribble in and shoot a mid-range jumper. He was the one that was shooting the 18-footer and passing up the open three-pointer because that was just Melo's game. And yet here he is actually playing pretty well, shooting pretty well from the line, 82%. I, I'm surprised, man. I've always been a Melo defender in where he ranks as far as his legacy goes. But, man, I did not want any part of him for the Charlotte Hornets or any NBA team that was looking to actually win. And yet here he is helping the Portland Trailblazers in any of the wins that they get. And I still I think I'm comfortable with that opinion from you, and I'm sure I said the same thing, that I didn't want the Hornets to pursue Carmelo because he does he does take away. You know, I mean, he consumes, oh, sure. he consumes possessions, and that is okay for a team like Portland that has enough talent and veteran talent to, to sort of balance that out, and everybody seems cool with what Carmelo is providing for them, and that's great. I don't think it would have been as cool to see him on the Hornets taking away possessions from P.J. Washington and Devontae Graham. So I'm cool with that. But yeah, props to Carmelo. Can it last? I mean, that's sort of the, you hate to do that. You hate to be the guy that just kind of comes in and rains on the parade a little bit. Uh, but it does rain a lot in Portland, so that's okay too. But I just don't know how long is this going to last. Can he? And look, bottom line, they've lost two straight. They're 16-24. and 24, They're 11th in the Western Conference. So as good as he's been, the team, for a variety of reasons, is still struggling. So it's just unfortunate Carmelo kind of can't help but be on a team that is underachieving. Well, Portland was always going to be the team that significantly declined from last year. You look at them actually getting to the playoff and a pretty deep run. They got to the Western Conference Finals last year. So we we all knew that Portland had um, a lot of talent as far as 
and, and being successful, right? Maybe you don't like the whole lot of talent evaluation, but I mean, at least they got to the Western Conference Finals and yet still nobody believed in them to be a team that could be back this season, especially with the Lakers getting better with LeBron and AD. You know, Denver wasn't going to go anywhere. Utah got Mike Conley. Houston, at least, was going to stay status quo. The Clippers got better. Luka was always going to improve, right? And so when you looked at it, that was going to be like, oh, man, Portland somehow got all the way to the Western Conference Finals. Man, that's not going to happen. And yet still, despite all of that, right, despite all of us pretty easily being able to tell that they wouldn't be that good, nobody expected 16 and 24 from them, right? I mean, this kind of decline, I don't think anybody expected. Well, just real quick before we go, uh, Hornets need to win this game, I think. Uh, it's a tough matchup with Whiteside, but at the same time, the, the Blazers are struggling. They're reeling right now. The Hornets need to get this win because I don't think they can beat the Nuggets, and this would prevent them from going 0-4 on the road trip. They can come back and, and try to get things going at home. All right, with that take and somebody vacuuming in my apartment building hallway, <laughs> we will end today's show. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow.